let me begin by thanking Reverend Jennifer for allowing me to preach in your pulpit this morning. She and I share a distinction of beginning our current ministries in August of 2020, right in the middle. We thought, we hoped, we hoped it was the middle. It turned out to be the beginning of the pandemic. So all Zoom all the time back then, right? Masking and vaxxing and now all things multi-platform. It has been quite a ride. And you all are lucky to have Reverend Jennifer on your journey with you. Yes. So thank you for having me with you this morning. As I was preparing to as I was preparing to join you for worship this morning, I noticed on your website that the Universalist Unitarian Church of Peoria has a four-part mission statement. Embracing freedom, loving inclusively, growing spirituality, excuse me, growing spiritually, and healing our world. And it's actually on the front of your order of service, too. So given our topic for today of grounding in love, I was particularly delighted to read the fine print on your second theme. Loving inclusively reflects the universalist side of our heritage. We believe that everyone is welcome, everyone has worth and dignity, and everyone deserves love. Clearly, this is not your first rodeo with love today. You have been exploring love before and will continue to explore well into love well into the future. And like this congregation, I too have a multi-part mission statement. Mine is in three parts, and it is symbolized by a strong, beautiful, fruit-filled tree, much like the tree of life that Jesse and I told the story about. It's a three-part mission, and the tree parts are grounding in love, the roots, growing in faith, the trunk, and engaging for justice, the branches, and the fruit. Today we'll dig into the roots, for perhaps I'm not alone in wanting to be grounding in love. The two parts of this topic, grounding and love, each come with a story about walking. So the first story comes from last fall when my wife Bev and I were taking a walk around our neighborhood. It was an after-dinner walk one evening in September when the days were getting shorter, but it was still invitingly warm outside. You have to remember we were in Wisconsin, so it's a little bit colder there than it is here. We had just passed a little free library and uh, that was by the elementary school and we heard some music playing. We noticed that the music was coming from the speakers at our friend Jake's house. And on that carefree autumn evening, we just could not help but to do a little dance to the beat. And much to our surprise, Jake could see us <laughs> uh, dancing on his sidewalk. So he called us over to his garage where he was working at a stand-up table. And on the table before him was a very large pot filled with dirt. 
and he was up to his elbows mixing soil, he said. As a master naturalist, Jake was busy preparing a nurturing environment for plants that he would soon be transplanting. Besides the large pot of soil and dirt all over his hands and arms, I remember the huge smile on his face. He was so happy, and I could relate. Many dedicated gardeners and farmers might tell you that their outdoor environment, their garden of flowers or fruits, vegetables, or native plants, their ground is their happy place. Indeed, the smile on Jake's face was a testament to how the actual physical act of gardening can reduce stress and lift moods. Bonnie Grant is a certified urban agriculturalist who, has, who uses science to back up this personal anecdote. Apparently, in soil, scientists have found antidepressant microbes, bacteria that help our moods and are also being studied because they might improve cognitive function, Crohn's disease, and even rheumatoid arthritis. I am in awe and give deep thanks for such antidepressant microbes. Besides being an antidepressant, the ground is also a place where radical transformation occurs. Those close to the land might call this composting, right? How many of you have ever done composting? Let me see a raise of hands, right? Radical transformation through an amazing natural process Dirt can take harmful carbon from the air and transform itself into nutrient-rich soil, soil that sustains and nurtures the plants we need for our thriving. All it takes is the right ingredients of carbon and nitrogen, heat and water, air, worms, and time. With the right combination of these ingredients, the land can actually replenish itself. With such a superpower as self-replenishment, I like to start calling the land divine dirt and sacred soil. My feelings of awe around soil replenishment and calling it radical transformation, these are all indications of a particular theological framework. It's called the religious naturalist orientation. This is a perspective, a worldview, an orientation that, just briefly I'll share with you, contains four key components. Naturalism, which is a view that everything that exists and all that occurs is due to natural processes, not supernatural ones. Second, the modern story of our origins is the Big Bang and evolution offering ways for us to understand ourselves and our world. Third, all life exists in interconnected ecosystems. When we recognize this truth, it has profound implications. And finally, when we are amazed by and moved by the wonders of our lives and our world, we can embrace the experience as a religious response. 
a religious naturalist orientation encourages the awe of and the deep thanks for such natural processes as soil making, which is a process of and a site for radical transformation. Artistic representations of artistic repre- representations are important to religious naturalist orientation. Here's a poem by contemporary Unitarian Universalist author Jess Reynolds. It's entitled, I Would Like to Be Buried Alive. In it, I perceive a blessedness of dirtiness, and I invite you to listen to it as a point of radical transformation. It goes like this. Spirit, plant me. Part the soil until there's room for me to curl up around myself and wait. I know there's life sleeping somewhere in the seed, just waiting for water and sun. Spirit, plant me. This is our covenant. You on your knees, up to your elbows in dirt. Me, stripped bare of bark or shell, risking wind and snow to give myself the chance to grow. To embody spirit and find ourselves on our knees, up to our elbows in dirt, takes some intentionality. The effort of digging down, of grounding, can be so deeply rewarding. Getting dirty and messy, yes, physically, but also theologically and spiritually, can be deeply healing and an enriching experience. It can be transformative. Now, to be fair, grounding is not without its risks. When we are being honest, getting dirty can be a vulnerable experience too. To be grounding will require us to be stripped bare of our hard coverings. Only when we are vulnerable to the spiritual elements that nourish us will we find ourselves a chance to grow. In so many ways from science to poetry, we are reminded that grounding is a form of radical transformation, a site for growth, change, and evolution. Love, too, is a site for radical transformation. If we heed theologians like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, we will learn that love, too, can replenish, create, and save us all. I actually saw love as radical transformation on a walk last fall. Bev and I were taking yet another walk. This time we were in Minneapolis visiting her sister Mary. And it was October and the leaves were bright yellow and orange and covering all the sidewalks and piling up in the gutters. And as we were walking around Mary's neighborhood, I suddenly saw a sign. Okay, sure, it was just a yard sign, but it was a new one for me. The sign read, LOVE, in all caps. And then below it, it said, YOUR NEIGHBOR. 
you may have heard this phrase before, love your neighbor, and then it had an asterisk by the word neighbor. It continued, you're black, brown, immigrant, disabled, religiously different, LGBTQ, fully human neighbor. Of course, the sign wasn't big enough to include all the neighbors who are pushed to the margins with little power or privilege. The neighbors who are formerly incarcerated, for example, or neighbors who are currently incarcerated, neighbors living with mental illness, neighbors in the throes of their addictions, neighbors without the financial means for stable housing. I'm sure you could think of more neighbors as we widen our circle of concern. And then there are the neighbors I'm not sure I want to love. The family members who repeat conspiracy theories that I don't agree with. The politicians and voters who think Christian nationalism is a good idea the warmongering, power-hungry world leaders who kill everyday citizens with their self-righteous decisions. It's easy for me to think of neighbors I don't want to love. But that's not what Dr. King or our universalist ancestors invited us to do. They didn't say just love the neighbors with whom you agree. They didn't say we could pick and choose. They said everyone was worthy of love. When we are faced with the hard task of loving everyone, especially when we are grounding in love, we look to our roots for encouragement and nourishment. We explore our heritage for inspiration. We turn, in this case, to our religious ancestors. Our universalist and Unitarian forebearers grew out of the Christian tradition in particular and in general, excuse me, and in particular the Protestant tradition. So this love your neighbor reminder is an integral part of our religious roots. When we turn specifically to understand universalist ancestors, we find love everywhere. Sometimes we explain that Early universalists believed that God was too loving to damn anybody to an eternity in hell. There would be salvation for everybody. Salvation would be universal. We tell our stories about the 18th century universalist minister, John Murray. As an evangelist, he was spreading the good news about the kindness and everlasting love of God giving people not hell, but hope and courage. And in exploring our 19th century ancestors, we learn about about universalist minister Hosea Ballou. He preached about the salvation for all, irrespective of character. Yet another example of a loving God. And then we turn to the 20th century Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was not a universalist by name. Rather, he claimed a Christian worldview and spoke through the power of that tradition. 
But his 1957 speech resonates with our universalist roots. In the reading I shared earlier, Dr. King emphasized agape. He said, Agape is an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. It does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people. It begins by loving others for their sakes and makes no distinction between a friend and enemy. It is directed towards both. Can you hear the universalism in his words? It's the same kind of universalism that this congregation articulates in its mission. Loving inclusively, we believe that everyone has worth and dignity and everyone deserves love. Agape is the kind of love that makes a place for radical transformation. We can hear that when Dr. King continues, agape in this type of spirit and this type of love that is the type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. It is love seeking to preserve and create community. This is the love that may well be the salvation of our civilization. Through these words, we are reminded that love, like divine dirt and sacred soil, is all about radical transformation. This is the kind of love we want to be grounding in. This is the kind of love that requires us to change and evolve, to replenish and nourish. This is the kind of love that does not discriminate between worthy and unworthy people. This is the kind of love that creates community and transforms hearts. This is the kind of love that is a site for radical transformation. This is the kind of love we want to be grounding in. Beloveds, though it has been 66 years since Dr. King suggested that agape may well be the salvation of our civilization, our society, our world, it still needs to be saved. It needs to be changed. It needs to be transformed. And when we are grounding in love, we are part of that change. We are part of that radical transformation. We are part of building the beloved community. So I invite you this week to go out and spread the good words of grounding and love be grounding in the ways that nourish your spirits and your bodies. Be loving in an overflowing way that seeks nothing in return. Be grounding in love, living out a life of radical transformation. Blessed be and amen. We will sing of love one last time. Edith is